Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. You're going to love today's lineup. We have the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson. Emo stops by to talk a little baseball. The top producer and researcher for ESPN, Paul Hembikides, will join us. Sarah Langs from MLB.com. And Mike Bassick, who covers the Rangers. You might remember him. He's the guy that gave up home run number 756 to Barry Bonds. But we'll talk ALS baseball. Scott Emerson, really good friend of the program. Love having him on. We can just sit back and talk baseball and pitching, you know, whether it's the physical side or the mental side. Really, no one better than Scott Emerson. Here is your A's pitching coach. Well, it's the first time we get to talk to you in spring training. How's it going so far? Everything's great, Tony. Uh, the guys are working hard, and it's a lot of fun to watch them go out there and compete each and every day. You know, I think this year is different for you because the past couple of years you've been trying to figure out, do we have five starters? Now it seems like you have a lot of depth not only at the big club but what you're going to have in AAA this year. Well, yeah, you know, you look at the squad on paper and, you, you know, there's a lot of familiarity with the guys that are returning and the guys who have been in Major League Camp before. And then you got Lazardo and Puck, uh, Pucks of the World that uh, you're anticipating being in the starting five. So, you know, on paper it's fun to see, but we got to go out there and compete and play the game. You know, something that we, we talked about always with spring training is health and A.J. Puck being shut down and then just once again shows you really how valuable Chris Bassett is to this rotation. Yeah, you know, I mean, you want to have the as many swing guys as possible. That's why you're always trying to build up some guys during spring training, two- and three-inning guys. Uh, you look out there, and during the season, they might be doing more ones and twos. But in spring training, you might be seeing some twos and threes just to see, uh, you know, if anybody else could step up and fill a starter's role. But the, the swing man, uh, the, the versatility, the guys that can do that are very valuable to, to pitching today. And I think about the way you're scheduling. You know, sometimes you look at the fifth start and go, ah, we can skip them a few times. But you got a lot of games right out of the gate and a lot of games against some really good teams. Yeah, you know, we come out of the gate with Minnesota. We got them two out of our first three series. And then we got the Astros. And then in comes the Angels, who are a much improved ball club. Uh, so, And then you got Boston and New York rolling in early. So it's important that our guys come out pitching well and they're ready to pitch. And, you know, spring training, like I always say, their first two and three games are about themselves moving their baseball around. And then after that, I start telling them, hey, we need to, we need to gear up for your outs because the outs are what are important to us. Yeah, you talk about competing, you know. Spring training is different for different guys. You know, some guys like a Mike Fires is going to be in the rotation. He can work on some things. And then there's guys that need to prove to you that they can get outs at this level. Yeah, that's when you're, you know, you're, you're looking at some of the guys. It's kind of a catch-22 because you're, you're excited about some of the young guys that come in throwing. A, I mean, you look at uh, a Lazardo the other night, uh, his first pitch of the game, 98 miles an hour, and then you're kind of wanting him to slow it down, and you understand the situation. You know, Linder's from his hometown, and, and they, he wants to get out, and then the competition is there. 
So, you know, you're trying to slow some guys down a little bit velocity-wise, but they are trying to make the team. But you got to, you know, take it and, and re- let them realize that big-picture thinking is what we're thinking about. We're not thinking about a game in spring training. We're thinking about the games in October that are, are where we want to be. So, uh, you know, I understand from their point of view, but, uh, you know, that's my job to, to, to talk to them about, hey, you know, let's slow it down a little bit, or, hey, after three outings in spring training, we got to crank it up a little bit. How important is it to realize – how tough it is to pitch down here where the ball, your curveball doesn't break as it normally does. It's the thin air. It's the desert. The ball flies out. Heck, we were in Vegas, and we know that's a bandbox. I mean, how much do you factor that in? Well, you, you always factor in that in, but, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing I, I like to see is how the ball's coming out of their hand. Uh, I, I do like to see if they can get any bite to their baseball in Arizona. Uh, throwing strikes is important to me early. You know, you know, the, the best big leaguers, you know, not only do they have the ability to throw strikes, but they got a, the ability to throw balls when they want to and, and you know, kind of move the hitters around and, and set up some pitches. So that's important. You know, uh, the homers that could be fly balls, not so much, you know, the other day uh, at the White Sox, Bassett gave up an opposite field home run, which for me, uh, I thought he still threw the ball uh, fairly decent. What, what you don't want to see are walks, you know, four-pitch walks or scattered balls all over the place. You want the guys to be around the strike zone, uh, creating some swing and miss when they can. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to watch our guys go out and compete so far. You got a lot of young guys that are be, going to be heading to Vegas. When, when you address these guys whether it's you, you know caprillion and, and these guys homes and wh- what do you say to them and you know because i know it's going to be a while before they leave camp here but what are you going to say to them when they're heading down to las vegas well you know with, with any pitcher you, you want them to, to realize you know when you when you come up to the big leagues you want to stay you know i i, I know, you know i've been in the in the minor leagues i was in the minor leagues a long time i coordinated and it seemed like guys only wanted to get the double a I just got to get to double A. I just got to get to double A. And I, I would always remind them, how about getting a better breaking ball? How about getting a better changeup? How about not worrying about where you're pitching, but how you're pitching and what your stuff looks like? And and I get it. You know, guys get antsy. They get worried about where they're going. But they worry about controlling the controllables. And that's the stuff that they have and not worrying about what level they're pitching. Now, obviously, you want to be in the big leagues. Guys want to be on the big league team. But if you're not ready to be here, you don't want to be here because th- then then you're proving you can't be here. You know what I'm saying? So we need these guys to work on their craft uh, at any level they're at, master their craft, and when they come to the big leagues, they need to stay. The thing I love about you is, yeah, all these guys got good arms, but you understand it's what's in between your ears. It's like you're a mental coach to go along with being a pitching coach. Well, you know, I, you know, I do love all the attributes, you know, the, the analytics and the technology are, are great. But at the end of the day, the track mans and the rap sodas of the world, uh, they're not getting anybody out. The pitcher's actually getting them out. So, you know, we love to take the, the, the data and analyze it and see how we can get the guys better. But they have to go out and execute. You can have the best spin rate in baseball and not throw a strike, and that spin rate doesn't mean anything. You can have the worst spin rate and throw a strike with your fastball, and it will mean something because now we can play around and see what we can do. If you have the best spin rate and and can throw a strike, you should be getting your outs, and now we can help you and tell you how you should use your spin rate to get the outs. So there's always a little catch-22, but at the end of the game, I always say I want uh, major league pitchers, not minor league throwers. And I think about... Two different ways to, to look at pitchers out on the mound. Guys who are going out there to win and guys who are going out there to survive. And that's the mental side of the game. And as a pitching coach, I, you know, I see a lot of the young guys are trying to survive. The, the more established guys are going there to win. How do you help a guy get from being a survivor to a guy going out and attacking and winning? Well, the, the first thing is just getting out there more and more. You know, you watch a guy like Frankie Montas get out there and over the first couple of years of his career, you know, it's like he couldn't breathe out there. He's in awe that this is the major leagues. We want to be the the uh, the hunter. You know, we want to hunt them. We want to get after the hitters. We want to be the aggressor. We want to force the action. And you know, sometimes you know, it comes down to I tell guys, hey, strike them out on three pitches. 
Just go get them, you know. Three pitches or less, you, you know, that's what we're looking for. We'll take four and we'll settle for five. That's 15 pitches an inning. And right now we'll even settle for six pitches a hitter the way the game is going. That's 18 pitches an inning if you get to your three guys. But our guys, you know, we're, we're striving to tell them strikes, strikes, strikes. You're going to throw your balls. It's just, just that's the way the game happens. I've, I've never seen a guy go out there and, and have an outing of 26 pitches or more or whatever and throw 26 strikes. So the object of the game is to get the hitters out. That's number one. How are we going to get the hitters out? That's number two. We're going to get the hitters out with you know all our pitches. We're going to get them out with location. We're going to get them out with uh, change of speeds. We're going to get them out with movement, and we're going to get them out with velocity. So how are we going to put the game plan together for each pitcher is that fastball can that spin rate help us well it can't help us if we don't throw a strike it can help us if you've got good spin and and over 23 2200 whatever you want to call it we can pitch more at the top of the zone if we're below 2100 then we know hey this guy's got to pitch more at the bottom of the zone but for you to be able to pitch consistently at the top of the zone you got to have something at the bottom of the zone preferably soft and for you to pitch a lot of fastballs uh sinkers down in the zone means you got to move the ball east and west a little bit you got to get the hitter out leaning out one way so you can throw a sinker the other way and vice versa so that's the whole analytic game that we uh try to play and and we got the best analytic guys in 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 the game in my opinion because they understand baseball and we're communicative with each other if if I don't think a guy can do something, I let him know, like, hey, this is this is hard to do. We'll work on it, and then once we master it and get it right, we'll incorporate into the game. And that's the great thing about our analytic guys and gals is that they can tell me, hey, what about trying this? And we'll look at the data together, and we'll determine the best course of action for every pitcher. Yeah, I think you just said that perfectly. It's like, okay, you can give me a whole stack of numbers, but if I can't translate that to the players – then the numbers mean nothing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of these guys will look at you like it's Chinese arithmetic and stuff, and kind of li- I'll say say that again, they, you know, say that one more time. So, you know, when I get the numbers from from our analytic uh, people, it's it's okay. Let's break it down. Can these guys really do this? Can they really understand it and process the information? And what can they process? It's not just throwing it up against the wall and seeing what sticks. It's like, hey, this can help you. So now I'm selling what can help them and they should be buying and it's it's factual information that we're getting we do get some predictive information which can turn into you know factual like the weatherman it's you know it's 50 percent chance of rain tomorrow it's going to probably rain somewhere at 50 percent so we're trying to do our best as a as a as a analytic group and a pitching group to put the game plans together to mesh it to do our talking and and blend it all in and it's my job to give the information to the pitchers and like i said if if i don't understand it, hey give me a you know give it to me in a different form of verbiage so i can help uh the pitchers and at the end of the day you know all of us want to win in this organization so we're, we're striving to to gain information it's just how much information can you give to the pitcher before he gets out there and starts thinking oh my goodness i better work on my spin rate and I'm in the dugout going, what are you thinking out there? Oh, about my spin rate? No, you got to think about an out. Okay, we already know that your spin rate will help. If you put it in this location, your spin rate's going to help you. And same with breaking balls. You know, if you're down and away to your glove side, generally, uh, and you got a good spin rate on, to your, on your breaking ball, you're going to get outs. But if you can't get the ball down and away, you leave it more arm side on a consistent basis, you're losing the spin because your delivery is probably bailed out and your arm's a little bit late and you've kind of altered that spin on that particular pitch. So you see a lot of guys that have, like, really good breaking balls on occasion. It's the guys who have it on a, who are consistent with all their pitches that makes their makes their really good pitchers. Let's end on this. It was unfortunate what happened to Frankie Montas last year. He was going so well. I mean, he could have been an all-star, could have been starting in the all-star game. You've really helped him mentally and also with the split finger to go with the fastball to give him something else. It's it's almost like having him back this year is going to be like adding a big-time free agent. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that, you know, everybody always, they're probably sick of me saying this, but uh, if hitting's time and pitching is disruption of timing. So Frankie's, you know, when you're throwing a, a change up 4% of the time and then you're offering this split to somebody and you're working on it and you throw it even more, you're separating, you know, the, the timing of the hitter. You're, you're going to disrupt his timing. But what that also did is it helped out his fastball and it helped out his breaking ball because now they got to look for something slow and diving down rather than breaking down and then that all of a sudden they look for that and all of a sudden they get 98 on them so it's it's not only helped out you know the split finger uh, has helped him out but it's helped out all his other pitches as well i could talk to you all day well, I, I i love this game and uh, <laughs> let's, let's get out there and go win one have fun today and we'll see you back in oakland sounds good to me Paul Himbikides from ESPN joins us each week. And, of course, what he does for ESPN. And also you hear him on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight. We love having Himbo bring us some knowledge each week here on A's Cast Live. Himbo, it's great to have you back on the program. We've missed you. Uh, I miss you guys, too. These are um, these are obviously extraordinary times. But in a, t- in a time like this, if, if we have the ability to to, to – you know, talk about baseball for a few minutes. I think it's going to, you know, I think it's therapeutic for the two of us and it's, you know, probably therapeutic for just about everyone listening in too. So it's, uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, we're here now to help people get through this. That, that That's why we're going to talk a lot of baseball, but when you think about your show on ESPN or what we're doing with A's cast or A's cast live, this is a time where people want a diversion to get away from everything and get back to what they love. And one of those things is baseball. Well, and there's and there's a reason why Major League Baseball persisted through both world wars, and that's because uh, the president at the time and the commissioners felt like baseball was going to provide people um, a distraction, for lack of a better term. And obviously this is not that in terms of the magnitude and in terms of the impact, but I think the principle remains the same. Baseball is going to have, however long the season will be, baseball is going to have an extraordinary an extraordinary opportunity to, to roar, roar back this summer and captivate people in, in a way that it has not in, in a long, in a long, long time. I remember when, you know, Mike Piazza hit that famous home run a week or so after 9-11, and it was this kind of thing that, like, we'll, we'll never forget. If you watch it live, you'll never forget where you were. And there's just no way to overstate the impact that that had on where our nation was at the time. And I'll tell you, like, I, I, I can't wait to sit in, in the stands as a fan – with a $14 beer and a $6 hot dog that's not that, you know, tasty and not even that warm, and I won't care. I won't care that I lost those $20. I just want to hear the crack of the bat. I want to smell the Cracker Jacks. I want to have those senses heightened because right now there is nothing I want more than that. That, I think, is the, is the experience that fans are going to want. My hope, my hope is that uh, in-stadium attendance will return soon after baseball does, but I think there is a reasonable chance, there is a reasonable chance, that we'll be playing baseball in baseball in empty stadium for a decent amount of the season. Yeah, I mean, we just want to get this thing going. And if that's the case, then and people can still be watching games on television. They can, you know, listen to A's cast. So that will be something very special. Also, something very special. When is your book coming out? <laughs> um, funny you should ask. So about, uh, I would say it was last summer. It was really the time that um, I decided to do this. So. Um, every year I go on a, a baseball road trip with a few buddies and one year we decided to, to do the exercise of ranking the 25 greatest baseball players of all time and, and defend it, to defend our list. And we enjoyed the exercise so much that we decided, well, if we ever have a chance or the motivation to do a top 100 and put it on paper, we're going to do it. So uh, over the course of the last year or so, I've sort of been crafting exactly how we want to do it in terms of you know, the ranking the players, in terms of the selection process, in terms of the research and all the rest of it. So I would definitely say we're uh, still very much in the early stages of it. My goal is to have this be sort of a year, year and a half long project. But like the, the way I would best describe this is like I'm very much writing this uh, for me. Like the people that I've talked to, and I've talked to a bunch of people who have done books like these, they say, write it for you. And if you do so, you'll be satisfied with the outcome, regardless of how many books you sell. Like, I'm not an author. I'm a TV producer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a researcher. But I have so much, you know, information at my fingertips that I feel like it would almost be a waste if I didn't do this. So I'm learning so much as we go. My hope is that sometime next year we can unveil this thing. And my hope is that, you know, over the next year, year and a half, I can share some of the tidbits along the way that I learned that I'm sure you guys will uh, find just as interesting as I do. 
Yeah, when you start breaking down the top 100, I mean, how? I mean, just think about how tough it is if you said, all right, give me the top 10 baseball players all time. They've been playing this game for over 150 years. It's like, I, I don't know how you do that. That I mean, there's been so many great players. I, how, how are you going to judge the players by era? So what we have done is we we've, we've developed a system in which we are not ranking players one through 100, rather bucketing players based on a theme of their career. And the reason we've done so is because I, like you, have seen all these lists, and it's very difficult to reconcile the rankings on just about any one of them. And what I want to avoid is a situation in which someone is saying, why in the world is Josh Gibson ranked higher than Lefty Grove, which is frankly just impossible to defend. Like, it's silly. Like, Joe Posnanski is doing his top 100 on The Athletic right now. Some outstanding and interesting and, uh, you know, historical type anecdotes that I'm, you know, I'm sure going to, you know, wade through myself as I, as I do my own list. But what gets in the way is the individual ranking of the player. So in order to, to whittle our number down to 100, right now we're about 110. We start just with the baseball reference war leaderboards and we dive into the context. There's really no objective way to do this. That's what I've learned. I've learned that it's almost impossible to do this objectively because there are so many variables. There's baseball in wartime. People lost seasons to war. People lost seasons to injury. People never even had the opportunity to play in Major League Baseball to do, due to discrimination. Also, when, when, like I often argue that war, wins above replacement, is a really valuable stat, especially in, in, in um, evaluating modern-day players. But 100 years ago, players were judged, at least position players in large part, based on their batting average and pitchers based on their win total. Am I, to, am I to penalize those players because they were achieving something that at the time was thought to be valuable? The answer has to be no. So context neutralizing things is the most difficult thing. You hit the nail right on the head. But I will say that I'm fairly comfortable with our uh, ranking system because it is truly objective, and then we're going to choose to sort of bucket these players as we go based on a theme in their career, which will eliminate the notion of why is X player better than Y player, which is what I think we want to avoid. I know this is this is this is going to be a tough one, but I got to ask it: How are you going to view the guys from the steroid era? The steroid era. See, we have we have an answer for that better than the Hall of Fame does. The Hall of Fame has a bad answer for that because you're just you're just putting people. You're putting voters, you're leaving them to their own devices, and there are obviously politicking that goes on there that I'm uncomfortable with, and most baseball fans are uncomfortable with it. If I had a Hall of Fame vote now, which I do not, I'd love to have one someday, I don't have one now. If I had a Hall of Fame vote, I would vote for the quote-unquote steroid guys. For, our, for the sake of our book, however, we have a chapter which we have entitled The Pariahs. The Pariahs are going to be a group of people who are inarguably top 100 players, who inarguably their stories uh, are, are an essential part of baseball. So the, the way that I have been, you know, so to, to, to sort of um, boil it down as simply as I can, for every one of these players, we have to ask ourselves, can the story of baseball be told without them? If the answer is no, they have to be in the book. And for a handful of those players, the obvious ones, they're going to be in our pariah chapter. So we can do the context in a way that the Hall of Fame cannot. You know, one thing uh, since we've had this layoff that I've I've really enjoyed MLB Network playing classic games, whether it's the '95 game, uh, the Yankees up against the Mariners, the famous Edgar Martinez double. I was watching the Bucky Dent game from 1978. I mean, it's been so fun watching classic baseball, and you just notice players choke up, everybody makes contact, even Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson, who struck out more than any human being uh, in, in that year in 1978, he still was hitting like 279. He struck out a lot, but he also made a lot of contact. To watching yesteryear baseball to, to what we see today, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch old school. I mean, Reggie Jackson would be winning batting titles if he was playing today, let's be honest. I mean, look, I'm not an old fart. I turned 30 years old in May. So, like, I I can't act as if I'm, you know, Bob Ryan or, you know, or or Vince Scully or someone who's been watching baseball, you know, since, you know, since, um, you know, since forever. Like, but I will say that I think, I think, and it's probably hard to prove it, that the, the deterioration of the popularity of baseball with young people could be in, in just as large part due to the deterioration of the game, the batted ball, as anything else. Now, some people argue that there's just too much flooding the market, that football and basketball are just too fast, and that baseball can't keep up. 
But that's not the baseball that I remember. I was once a young person just like you. And baseball was way better than basketball then and way better than football then. And that's because the ball was in play. The batted ball is the foundation of baseball. Now, pitching is so good now. And that's truly the biggest reason why strikeouts are so up. And that's one of the big reasons why my walks are so up, too, because um, that's being incentivized as a big part of the game, too. But because that dynamic is in play now, there's just a lot less stuff happens. A lot less stuff happens. And baseball now can be uh, consumed in highlights and in bits and on, on Twitter and on other social media platforms in a way that you can see, you know, those individual plays or those strikeouts or those homers and not miss that much, which I think is sad because I think sometimes – but the context of the game, the beauty of the game is, is now easily lost because everything is so extreme. Now, this is not me saying that I think baseball thinks now because I don't. I think one of the biggest problems we have is that our national broadcasters say these things out loud. Our national broadcasters should be lauding the game of baseball because it is still by far the best game. But you ask my personal opinion, and that the baseball was much better when I grew up loving it. And that was 20, 25 years ago. We're not talking about the, you know, the 50s here. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I was watching, uh, it was the 1980 season, so they go from start to finish, uh, and watching the All-Star game, they're showing highlights, it's George Brett, Mike Schmidt, and you're like, ah, the good old days of ba- Dave Parker. I mean, it was like the good old days of baseball. All right, we, we've been doing a lot of, we, we've been doing a lot of deep dives, and one of the things that I've noticed lately, a lot of deep dives on shifting, because we have just said, listen, there's a lot of smart people in baseball, they're all shifting now, so it, it must be working. But but now I've been reading these articles about how shifting may not be as successful as we think because a lot of pitchers don't like pitching when the shift is on. They don't like the game plan. They walk more batters when the shift is on. If you walk more batters, that leads to more runs. So, yes, you may be stealing hits with the shift, but you may be giving it back because of the walks and the runs being scored. What has your research shown you about shifting? Is it really that successful? Uh, it's, it's successful only when the, when the pitching staff marries to the fielding. It's, it's, it's exactly what you said. There, there is really very little evidence that there's a, uh, there's a large batting average on balls and play difference against the shift versus against not the shift. Now, in my opinion, Put, you know, tossing a second baseman in, in, in short, short right field and moving the shortstop over makes a ton of sense for these, you know, sluggers who pull everything. And I think that's really where this probably should have settled. But there isn't that much evidence that this works to, to a large-scale extent the way that it's being used now. I mean, I, I reached out to my buddy Mark Simon. I know a friend of the program who told me that we almost had 50,000 shifts in, on balls in play last year. That's 40% of balls in play. Are, are are being shifted, which is just a preposterous figure because it's, it's impossible to impl- implement that with your pitching staff. If you have a pitching staff that, that buys into the philosophy of shifting and pitches to the location of, of, the, of the fielders, and at least in some sense with their sequencing. Now, obviously, everyone's trying to strike everyone out now, but if you, if you want to, uh, let's, let's, let's say throw a change up down and away, but you don't have anyone on the left side of the infield to feel the ground ball to the shortstop, which is the most obvious thing to happen in that circumstance as, as just an example, then it doesn't work at all. It's almost as if, like, like, for example, I'm a big Eagles fan. When Chip Kelly came to the Eagles, and Chip Kelly had the offense playing a million miles a second and didn't have any depth on the defense, well, they just blew every fourth quarter because they didn't have anything left. It's the same thing that goes here. Like you have, everyone's got to be in the meeting room together, and everyone needs to buy into it. I don't really care, to be candid, if pitchers like it or not, if you've determined as a staff that it works. However, if you look at some of the, some of the extremes last year in terms of successful shifting and unsuccessful shifting, there are really good teams on the very top of that leaderboard and some really bad teams on the bottom, and, and vice versa. So I think, I think you probably hit the nail on the head in saying that it's more anecdotal than anything else. Like anything, it, it's, it's a determination that you have to make in the front office and an implementation that has to occur throughout the entire, the entire team. It's not just a fielding thing. It's not just a pitching thing. It has to work together. My personal opinion is that I would shift somewhat sparingly. Now, I do have a sort of a, a strong opinion on whether or not shifts should be not banned, but at least limited. But in terms of like the way that it is right now and the, the fact that it's sort of the wild, wild west, I think the majority of teams are overusing this and using the data without the context. Let's end on this. Normally when you have a shortened season, people want to put like an asterisk on it because it's usually coming off labor strife, right? There's been a a fight between the players and the owners, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, 
everybody has had labor strife. Everybody has had shortened seasons. But I have a feeling this shortened season is not going to have an asterisk, and I think we're really going to uh, fall in love with the teams that make the playoffs and, of course, the team that wins the World Series. Uh, I do, too. I think well, the, the winner of the World Series this year is, 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 is will likely be viewed as uh, heroic because of all the circumstances surrounding baseball and sports in general right now, and that's probably how they should be viewed. Or at the very least, like – this season will, will be remembered so much. Um, you know, remember in 2001, after 9-11, the Yankees, it seemed like everyone was rooting for the Yankees in that World Series against the Diamondbacks. Now, I don't think there's going to be a certain team necessarily, but we don't know exactly what the context will be in a few months. But I don't know that there will be that team. But I don't think there's any reason for an asterisk because it's not like a certain team had an advantage over any other team. You know, there's, I mean, I suppose there could be some scheduling quirks that, that feed into that, but certainly nothing substantial. What I noticed in my research is that in 1981 and in 1995, those are the two, in the most recent years that were shortened due to strikes. In 95, they played 144 games in 158 days. In 81, they obviously played early, took a big break, you know, with the strike and, and, and then played a, uh, you know, the remainder of their schedule. And in both of those seasons, the best pitching team in their league won. In 81, it was the Dodgers. In 95, it was the Braves. And neither of those teams really hit all that exceptionally, which was curious to me. I think the teams with the deepest pitching staff that they can sustain this, this sort of rigor here are going to be the teams that succeed. We've seen uh, these offensive juggernauts take off during the regular season in recent years because you just can't stop the home run ball. Like a team like the Twins, for example, last year. I don't think, I don't think a team like the Twins is necessarily going to be a favorite this year because of the, the stacked schedule. I think the teams that are going to have the most success, especially in the playoffs, are going to be teams with deep pitching rotations because injuries are probably going to be more prevalent in a compressed period of time. And that's why I probably favor teams like the Rays and the Dodgers if I'm, I'm sort of prognosticating just based on the limited sample size that we have. Well, I got to tell you, I'm on the website, The Big Lead, and uh, Ask Himbo, getting up with ESPN's Paul Hembikides, Look at you going big time to writing articles about you. Look, <laughs> look, uh, you know it is a dead time in sports when the, when the big lead is choosing to write puff pieces on segment producers at ESPN in their free time. But that, that's where we are now. Um, that's where we are. But in, in, in all honesty, I do appreciate you saying so. It was, it was sort of fun. You know, this, you know, you know dude from the, from the website came and shadowed me for a couple hours and you know, chatted with a bunch of my colleagues, and they all said some flattering things about me that were you know, only, only half true. But I have to say, um, I, now that I have this job, like I always expected people to ask me like questions based on my expertise because I have access to so much information, like predictions on who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's your sleeper Cy Young Award winner or you know whatever the case may be. I'm much more, much more often I am asked about who I work with and like what the job is like, which always surprises me. Like I, um, I always thought I'd be answering like sports questions. As it turns out, it seems like the job that I have, like the specific work that I do, actually fascinates people a lot more than the answers that I come up with. But, you know, who knows why? Well, the article is very flattering, and you deserve it. But more importantly, be safe, my friend. Hunker down, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll contact you next week because we, we know this is, a, this is your little fun segment of the week where you get to actually do what you want to do. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely do. And now I, I have nothing but time. I am dying for stuff to do. So put me to work next week. We'll do a fun research project or two. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get together again. And, and like, like you said, stay safe because we obviously know we have bigger fish to fry right now. But uh, doing this for you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time is something that provides me uh, uh, some therapy. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. So it's a pleasure to be with you. From one great researcher to another, Sarah Langs, also one of the great followers on Twitter. We love having Sarah on to break down the game of baseball. And she does an unbelievable job for MLB.com. Sarah, how is that? Is that better? I don't know. You tell me. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I, I, we got you now. We got you now. Yeah, I was, okay. I was just okay. I was saying how the Cactus League, you know, the majority of teams are pretty close together compared to the Grapefruit yeah. League. That's just not the case. Yeah, I haven't. I've only been to one Grapefruit League game. I was actually down in Orlando last year, uh, the weekend that spring training games started. So I got to go to a game when the Braves were still at Disney. But for the most part, only have done uh, Cactus League and. That's part of why we went there initially was, uh, you know, I was in high school and talking to my mom and we're like, let's go to spring training. And she looked into it and, you know, naturally, like, you know, I was a Mets fan. She's like, maybe we'll go down to Port St. Lucie. She looks at the drive times and she's like, nope, we're going to Arizona. So uh, that's how we ended up there. And now we've done it for 11 years. 
That is awesome. So uh, leaving now, since you watched some games, what's your biggest takeaway? That I love baseball so much, and it's like I can't – I don't know how I could forget it when, you know, I, I know it all the time, but just being there was so much fun. But uh, one exciting thing, I mean, Bay Area, not the A's, but uh, Darren Ruff has looked really good for the Giants. I mean, when he first came to the plate in the first game we were at, I was like, this guy, I didn't realize he was still around. And by the end of it, I mean, he was just getting extra base hit after extra base hit, and I thought he just hit a triple like a couple minutes ago um, for them down in their game today. So I think he might make that team. He hasn't played in the majors since 2016. He went to Korea, so he could be the uh, next Eric Thames right there. Yeah, I'm not expecting much out of the San Francisco Giants this year. I know your I know your mom's yeah. not going to be happy about that, but it's a very strange rebuild. Uh, last year, it looked like it was going into rebuild mode, but then all of a sudden they started winning, and it was like win for Boach, and then they end up being bad. And you still got you still got quite a few old guys making a lot of money there. It, it's it, they're in a weird position right now. They are, they are, but you know, I mean, they, I think they've got a really good clubhouse vibe going and, you know, just talking to fans, my mother and, you know, some other people I was sitting around at some of these games. I mean, they're very excited for Pablo Sandoval to be back. They're so excited for Hunter Pence and who knows how much those guys are going to contribute. I mean, I think Pence probably has a better shot than Pablo, but I just think like, if you're going to be bad, at least give your fans what they want, you know, within that framework. And I do think that the way that this rebuild is going, they've sort of chosen to go that way, which is not what I necessarily expected from Farhan Zaidi. So it's interesting. But uh, at least for this year, that's sort of what they've got going. What's a team that you looked at and you said, yeah, these guys are going to be good? Well, the Dodgers, but that's an easy answer. But we saw them a couple of times. I added an extra Dodgers game on our schedule because I want to see Mookie twice, which my Giants fan mother had some thoughts about, but we did it. Uh, but they they looked really good, and we didn't even see everybody. I mean, Bellinger wasn't playing, but, you know, watching the White Sox was really fun. I don't think they're going to win that division, but I've been riding this train that, you know, hopefully they're going to be a fun, exciting team, maybe miss the playoffs, maybe make a wild card, but, you know, make some noise. And watching Luis Robert play the other day, I, I feel good about that. Keiko did not look great, which was concerning because, I mean, it wasn't necessarily even the best Giants hitters, but – uh you know, offensively, those guys look like a lot of fun. Yeah, it, there was a game earlier this week down in Arizona between the A's and the Dodgers, and some people were at the game, and some uh, national columnist who was kind of like the, the game to be at that day, and we got a chance to catch, catch, you know, Ken Rosenthal and Bob Nightingale, and they were like, you know, hey, we may be looking at a World Series preview right here. Ooh, that's fun. I could see that. I mean, I, I we didn't see the A's, you know, because I would have come down and said hi to you for sure. But uh, I, I like them. I like what they've got going. You know, we'll see. I mean, my entire perception of the AL West is changing pretty frequently. And uh, definitely with this most recent news about Justin Verlander and that he has a diagnosis, I saw mild lat strain. You know, we'll see what how long he's out for that. But uh, definitely the fact that there's something and it seems like, I don't know if they've said it, He's officially out for opening day, but just looking at it, it doesn't look like he's going to have what we would consider a healthy season. I mean, that really opens the door there. And I think the A's are positioned better than the Angels because I just that Angels starting pitching, I, I just don't know what you're looking at, you know. So, I mean, I, I could see it. I would love to see that. That would be so much fun. California World Series. Well, and, and talk about Verlander being shut down, Cole leaving, Lance McCullers Jr. Yep. is going to be – he's going to be – uh, on a innings limit, you start to look yeah. at the vaunted pitching staff of the Houston Astros starting 2020, and it just does not look the same at all. It really doesn't. And, I mean, we saw so many flaws in Zach Granke in the postseason last year, and you have to wonder how much of that was, you know, postseason issues like we see with a guy like Clayton Kershaw and how much of it was, you know, who he is now. I mean, he certainly did not pitch the way he'd pitched in the regular season in the in the postseason, but he wasn't, you know, the Zach Greinke who had a, you know, 190 ERA, you know, back in 2015 uh, last year. So it'll be really interesting to see. I think that there's a lot of pressure on him, especially depending how long Verlander is out. Uh, you know, I, certainly, you know, McCullers is so good or what, from what we've seen, but of course he's not going to be pitching a whole lot and you can't put that kind of pressure on a guy coming back from Tommy John. So 
I, I agree. I mean, it was already a big hit just using losing Garrett Cole, but it could be a lot bigger. I mean, two teams that were two of the favorites now head into the season with ma- a major I mean, losses for the Astros. Now Verlander shut down. And we're about to do a whole thing on the Yankees and all their guys. It's amazing how banged up they are to start 2020. I mean, it's incredible. I remember because I I covered a lot of Yankees games last year for the Yankees and also whoever the visiting teams were. And I remember as the injuries started to mount, you know, some of the older, more national writers saying, you know, people saying, have you ever seen something like this? And these guys are like, yeah, yeah, you know, this happens. We're, we're putting a lot of focus on it because it's the Yankees that these things happen. And by the time we got partway into the season, nobody was saying that anymore. I mean, we've seen teams use the injured list a little more. The Dodgers in 2017 did, but that was also partially uh, strategic. Um, but just the, the magnitude and the gravity of the guys who have been out. And I, I don't know. I, it would be incredible to me if they can do what they did last year take it all the way to a game seven in the American League Championship Series with the same volume of injuries again. And it's concerning. You know, I mean, at least Garrett Cole is okay, right? I mean, at least they've got that. Yeah, I mean, he just can't pitch every day. That's a problem. (laughs) That is. It's a big problem. Okay, so we know that there is going to be a divorce in Cleveland, Lindor and the Indians. It's just inevitable. Negotiations have been shut down. When do you move him? When, when is the best time to get the best value for this star shortstop? I mean, I think you have to do it at the deadline. I mean, the thing is that, you know, the longer you wait, the less you're going to get back. I mean, that's basically what we saw happen with um, the Orioles and Manny Machado. You know, I mean, they basically waited till the last possible moment, and they didn't get a whole lot back based on everything that I understand about that. And, you know, there's the CBA looming. There's a lot of things going on where it just seems to, you know, make the most sense to get rid of him. But he's also, you know, the heart and soul of that team right now. And, you know, they look like they really, they could be pretty good. I think the Twins are going to be better, but I think they're going to win some games. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of hope for Shane Bieber and, you know, Clevenger, we'll see, but I saw, I think he threw today, or they said he's going to throw soon. They said that today. So, you know, their young pitching could, you know, carry the team to an extent. And that's the toughest decision, you know, is when you wake up on July 1st, it's like, oh, great, we're a game out, but how do we trade him in 30 days? And I, I'm so glad I don't have to make those kinds of decisions. Well, yeah, that's why it was great to see Yelich sign with the Brewers. You know, you you see a team that doesn't have the same revenue streams as some of the big boys, but they're keeping their star player. And, you know, when Cleveland loses Lindor and all of a sudden you're looking around, it's just, you know, it's kind of of sad. Yeah, it is sad. I, I was glad to see that. But, I mean, he's also so underpaid. I mean, that's so great. I'm so glad that he felt comfortable and wanted that security and chose to make that decision. But, you know, I can't fault either of them. I can't fault him for making that decision, but I can't fault Francisco Lindor, the best shortstop in baseball, one of the best players in baseball, one of the top 10 players in baseball. You know, I can't fault him for wanting to see what he's worth on an open market. I mean, you have that kind of talent. You certainly deserve that moment, you know, and that's why it's just such a difficult, it's just so difficult to watch these things play out because I don't know, I, I really feel for both sides in a lot of ways, and maybe I'm being too kind or too open, but I just feel so bad for everybody involved. When I think about the Boston Red Sox, and there's still kind of a dark cloud hanging over them, why is it taking so long for the commissioner's office to come down with their reporting about what happened with the Boston Red Sox and, 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 and sign stealing? You know, I really have no idea with that, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot bigger things to deal with at this point. You know, I mean, we just saw, I don't know if you mentioned, but I just saw that Major League Baseball is going to close the clubhouses to the media for the time being because of the coronavirus. And there's just so many other things on the table right now that I, I really, I don't know, but uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of, a lot of types of different types of decisions to be made or made public or whatever else, you know, in the next few weeks. Oh yeah, you're dead right. But they've been investigating this for a long time. That that that's what's my yeah. what's so weird about this yeah. is like they've been in limbo and couldn't hire a manager. And it's like, well, if it wasn't as bad as the Astros, why is it taking you so long? Yeah, I I I, I, 
I really don't know. I mean, I don't even know how the logistics work of who they should talk to, how different it is once spring training starts and people aren't just at their homes and can't just come down to the office. I, I really don't know. But I mean, I just hope for everybody involved that we hear soon just because, you know, I mean, I was so upset throughout the off season, just, you know, with this being the prevailing conversation and I completely understand why, but I just want to talk baseball, you know? So I want these things to be in the past, even if there's lingering, you know, things that are going on and punishments and whatever else. I just want to, you know, be talking about the crack of the bat and everything else. So, Well, it's so good that you had a great time with your mom down in the Valley of the Sun. Next year, you need to come to an A's game. I know. You know, we've been to a couple, but we were just remarking when I was trying to figure it out and see if we could come down and see you that we haven't seen the A's in a couple of years. You know, we she's a Giants fan, so I will tell you, talk to the schedule makers. We come down, we go to like five Giants games. That's what we do. And whoever they're playing, that's who we see. So, but we did make an exception this year because I wanted to go to my first ever doubleheader and go to two spring training games in one day. So uh, we will uh, we'll look at the schedule next year and hopefully we can make it make it work. Because I mean, we want to come down and see you. We want to see the whole setup. I want to see the setup, you know, at the stadium there and everything. And come say hi to everybody. So. Oh yeah, we got to take you down, introduce you to Bo Mel, some of the players. For sure. I mean, my mom. Went to Cal. She loves them. She loves anybody who went to Cal. We were so excited to see Andrew Vaughn. We saw the White Sox, I mentioned, on Saturday. Andrew Vaughn, he went to Cal. You know, very exciting to see that. So, uh, but, yeah, no, we, we, we'll come down. We'll, I'll, I'll say it now. I'll say even we can take a day off from the Giants. We can figure it out. But we will make sure to come down and see you guys next year for sure. Great stuff as always. We'll talk to you soon and stay safe travels back east. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Great to talk to you. That's two back-to-back powerhouses, Paul Himbikides and Sarah Langs. We talk about baseball research. And we'll end with Mike Bassick, former pitcher, now does Rangers pre- and post-game, as we're going to talk about the AL West right before the A's were taking on the Rangers in spring training. Mike, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you this afternoon? Man, thank you so much, Chris. I'm doing good. Just got through teaching a bunch of ten year olds baseball. It's it's kind of difficult. Did you did you mention launch angle and spin rate? <laughs> no, I did not. And it's amazing because some of the kids do have tremendous launch angle and I'm trying <laughs> to eliminate that from their swing because I'm like we can't drag the bat like we're sweeping the floor. So there might be some new guys that say, Man, you're really teaching these kids the wrong way to swing by staying flat to the baseball and trying to hit line drives. But I think launch angle is something that they can do if they get good enough to play college baseball or professional baseball. They can learn that. I'm still going to teach kind of a flat bat pass. You know, it's so funny when we were growing up, everybody wants you to hit the ball, hit it back up the middle, hit it the pitcher, back up the middle. Now the problem is there's an infielder there back up the middle. I know. I know I've been talking I talked uh, one time with David Murphy former you know Texas Ranger and Cleveland Indian and he said when they started doing the shift it was in the middle of his career and one time he hits a line drive right up the middle and he starts to take a turn and then he looks he's like oh no the short stops right there and I've just hit I've hit what has been a base hit almost my whole life and now hitting it right up the middle meant that that's an out to the shortstop. You know, I had down in spring training, Stan Caston, the uh, president part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, been around the game for years. And we were talking about how much baseball changes just year to year. And he's told guys, he goes like, hey, if you're out of the game for a year, two years, and you come back, like, you don't realize how fast this train is moving and you're behind. I mean, just think about how much this game has changed since you played. Yeah, and it's been now over 10 years, and it's gone by pretty quick. And when you talk to guys and their routines, and we were talking to uh, the Rangers' first-round pick on Friday in spring training, Josh Young, who you know is probably two years away from being in the big leagues with the Rangers, and he bought himself – he was like, yeah, I bought myself a VR machine, and I've been working with that in the offseason. So I've been seeing pitches off of Verlander and Garrett Cole and – and it's just like, well, I have another five to ten questions off of what you just said. And he's like, yeah, you know, you're not trying to swing the bat, but you're just with this virtual reality thing. And I've never put that on, but I'm like, whoa. So, like, you're, you, you know, they have these machines now that guys are buying that they're first-round picks, and I don't know even how much they cost. I didn't ask them how much they cost, but guys that have enough money are buying their own virtual reality machines to just see pitches while they're 
I guess sitting on a couch instead of watching TV, they're taking uh, virtual uh, swings off of the best pitchers in the game. Yeah, I bet Cole is a lot easier to hit on your couch than in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I recognize that. Now, hitting it in real life is going to be a lot tougher. Well, first off, it's great news that the Texas Rangers are opening up a new ballpark. It's just the heat or the weather. It's just there were so many times that season ticket holders and ticket holders, are we going to have a game? We're not going to have a game. There's going to be a delay. You don't have to worry about that ever again going to have a roof. When we were there last time when I was with the A's, uh, Texas Live is awesome, by the way. I loved going over there. But I got a chance to see some of the park, but there was a lot to be still done. Have you been able to go into the new park, and what does it look like? I haven't been able to go into it as it's getting pretty much – it's pretty much 100% done now. It's funny, on Twitter, I think they give updates. How it's like, now it's 98.6% done, and then the next day they give like a 98.8 or something like that. So it's pretty much done. I'm going in there on, I believe, like March 23rd, and I believe opening day, I think, for the Rangers for their home opener is March 29th. So I'll get to go in there uh, before anybody's kind of, you know, in there getting ready for opening day about six days before. But everything I've seen, uh, you know, driving by it and just walking where Texas Live is, you can kind of peek in there. It's looking really nice. That being said, I've always, as a player, I've never really enjoyed playing indoors. I always felt like it was a, a different feeling when we went to Houston or whether it was Montreal back in the day or Arizona. So, you know, it's one of those things where it is a different feeling than outside. But I will say as a fan and also at times as a pitcher, pitching when it's 104 and more like 124 on the field, that's really good to get out of that situation. Yeah, because they used to talk about all the time how just Texas pitchers would wear down with the humidity and the heat, and now you're not going to have that, and the elements will not be what they used to be. So it'll be very interesting to see how the ballpark plays. Yeah, and we, we just don't know that yet. I mean, looking at it, it looks like they kind of have a little bit of a short porch the way Houston is in left field. And I don't know if it's going to play that short because, I mean, Houston can get a little bit quirky there in left field. But I guess, you know, you're going to have to play some games there to get a feel on where are the places where it's easier to hit home runs, where does it seem like, you know, it's not. And then how different is a game when they open up the roof compared to closing the roof? And really, you know, your outdoor games will be in April and May and maybe early June. But pretty much most of June, July, August, and half of September, that, that it's going to be closed. Sad news about Willie Calhoun taking a ball to the face. Do we have an update on him? No, except most likely he's going to have surgery and he's going to have his, I mean, he is going to have his, you know, mouth, jaw wired shut. Uh. And so it's, it's probably going to be two months at least until he's back with the team. Uh, in the major leagues, and that would be, I think, optimistic. So, I mean, I think the hope is without them putting a timetable on it, you're probably hoping for mid-May for him to come back. And, I mean, 95 at the face, it's tough to get out of the way of. And I've been talking about this today, about Willie has a really good average against lefties. And part of it, Urias was pitching for the Dodgers, is part of it is he stays in there. Usually if a ball looks like it's coming at your face, lefty on lefty, usually it's because they're throwing a curveball or something that's going to start breaking away from you, and you need to hang in there. It's those guys that bail out because it looks like it's going to hit you, and then the ball breaks into you know the inner half of the plate or even to the outside part of the plate, and you're like, in spring training, you're working on hanging in there and staying in there and seeing the ball, and unfortunately, lefty on lefty 95, you know, he stayed in there, and it, it squared him up, unfortunately. And that's going to really hurt the Texas Rangers. This offense on paper didn't look great. And now you lose Willie Calhoun was probably going about fifth in your lineup and had a really good 80 games last year in the majors. And you're hoping that he could carry that to 140 games this year. And now, you know, you're going to lose at least, you know, 50 games most likely from him. Yeah, that's the thing when we're down at spring training. It's just, just stay healthy, just stay healthy. And it's sad to see that heading to the rotation, Adding Corey Kluber, how good do you think this rotation can be? I think I'm going to be really optimistic here, and it doesn't mean I'm going to be optimistic in picking the Rangers to win the division or win 90 games, but I think it has a chance to be one through five 
the best rotation in the American League West. That's going to be a lot to ask. What we're going to need in Texas is Mike Miner and Lance Lynn to repeat the seasons that they had last year. That They both had great seasons overall. And then Corey Kluber to get back to 2018. If those three things happen uh, for those guys, that'll be great. And then with Gibson and Lyles, two veteran guys at the back of the rotation, if they're able to put up their ERAs in the low fours, then I think you could have one through five the best. Obviously, Verlander and Grinky, I think, beat the Rangers if you're going with your top two guys. If you look at the Oakland Athletics, I'm going to tell you, I love the Athletics this year. I'm picking them to win uh, close to 100 games and win the division. And I really like when I, what I've seen from do, – do you say it puke or puck? Puck. Puck. I love Puck. I mean, he reminds me of – he's just a little bit shorter, but he reminds me of kind of Randy Johnson-like of a pitcher. Uh, and then you just have – you have the right youth with the right veteran guy. So, uh, honestly, I think the Oakland Athletics have a great chance to be really solid one through five. You just have to believe in the young guys are going to step up and, and be as good as they have been kind of projected to be. But I do really like the Rangers rotation. I think it could be weird this year as a Rangers fan. The history of the Texas Rangers has been offense. And I think if the Rangers are going to win a lot of games this year, they're going to win games four to two, three to two. I don't think they're going to win a lot of slugfests because they just don't have a lineup one through nine that can handle what the Athletics, what the Angels, and what the Astros put out there. Seattle's kind of, you know, I expect them to lose 100 games. You know, I think about the A's, you know, the number one word is confidence. You know, you know they, they kind of surprised everybody two years ago, kind of surprised themselves with 97 wins, and then everybody said, yeah, let's see you do it again, and they did it again. And they've lost two straight years in the wild card. And you just sense that everybody's a year older. The core is there. And they have that confidence and kind of that swagger where 2020, the A's are are looking to get after it. It's going to be an interesting year. Yeah, you know, I'm on 105.3 The Fan here in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth on the home of the Rangers. And uh, the other day we did a segment on the odds to win the MVP in the American League. And Trout's one-to-one. And I said, look, I mean, that, that's the easy bet, but you're not going to make that's, – that's not great odds when you have to play out a whole season with injuries that can happen. The two players that I said that I would pick that have the odds to make a lot of money, Francisco Lindor 17-1, to 1, and what's going to be tough there is I don't think Cleveland's going to make the playoffs, just predicting them. But I said the other one that I think is a great bet, I said bet on Chapman. He's 25-1. to 1. I think the Athletics have a great chance to win 100 games. He is one of the best gloves in the American League at third base. He has the potential to be one of the best hitters in the game right now. And if the Athletics are able to win 100 games uh, and, and he has a great year, Chapman, I think that there's a great chance that we see the Athletics have an MVP this year. And 25-1, to 1, that's great odds to me on a great player that's about to emerge. Let's end on this because getting ready for this interview, I was looking at some numbers yesteryear players are rolling their eyes about this number 137 the texas rangers stole 137 games in major league baseball that was the most in mlb <laughs> that, it's, it's silly you know we talked to chris woodward about that and he's like you know as teams are getting less aggressive we're the most aggressive and what's funny is after watching all the ranger games last year i'm like Man, at no point did I watch the Texas Rangers and go, man, that's a really aggressive team on the bases. You better watch out for them. I mean, growing up, you know, when I can remember baseball for the first time, I can remember those mid-80s St. Louis Cardinals with Coleman and Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Tommy Herr. And, I mean, you talk about putting pressure on the pitcher because of, you know, we're going to run wild on our astroturf field. That was running wild. And now – I mean, last year, Ronald Acuna in the National League, that's the league where you probably need to kind of run a little bit more to get in scoring position because you have a pitcher in your lineup. And he led the National League with 37 stolen bases last year. I mean, it's gotten to the point where you just wonder in spring training, how much do we concentrate on the pitchers slide stepping, on the pitchers really having a great move to first base? holding runners at second so they don't get to third base with less than two outs. One out, you know, you don't want that guy to steal third on you. And now a pop-up, 
you know, or fly ball or a ground ball up the middle scores a run. I mean, teams just aren't really willing to take that risk on the basis. So I just wonder how much do you now have to concentrate on being quick to the plate, holding on runners tight, when really most teams don't even want to try to steal bases. Hey, Mike, great stuff. We truly appreciate it. Let's do this again when the A's and Rangers hook up. Man, that would be great. I'm excited about the season, and I think the Athletics are going to have a great year. Yeah, and, 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 it, and it keeps you from having to talk uh, Dallas Cowboys football. Yeah, I'm sick. Uh, hey, Dak Prescott, either sign or don't sign. I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> I know. It's like this has been going on for like two years. I know. I know. That's But you know what? Here in Dallas and, you know, our area, they eat up Cowboys talk left and right, so we keep doing it. Hey, thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon. All right. See you guys. Well, that'll do it for another edition of A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Scott Emerson, Paul Himbikides, Sarah Langs, and Mike Bassick. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 